Well, as you can see, today's uh, teaching is happily ever after. And you've heard that term before, and they lived happily ever after, and that's how fairy tales end. We kind of like it when a story has many twists and turns, and just when you feel like all is lost, somehow the good guys pull it all together and win the day. But let's be honest with each other, friends. Life is not a fairy tale. We cheer, of course, when the handsome knight rescues the beautiful princess from the fire-breathing dragon. Um, there aren't many knights to be found in real life, and they aren't all really good-looking. And, and let's be honest, some of them uh, run from the battle. And not every princess wants to be rescued, and sometimes the dragon wins. That's how it goes in a non-fairy tale world. But there are times when things do work out in the end, and sometimes the man and the woman end up together despite all the twists and turns of fate. That's what happens in the book of Ruth, which starts with sadness and it ends with joy. Now we're going to end up the whole series today, and we're going to find out how that works. In the beginning, the man and the woman don't know each other. In fact, there's almost no way they could meet, much less become husband and wife. But that's exactly what we have seen going through this book. Now, the last paragraph of Ruth, those words I read to you to begin the message, brings everything together, making it one of the greatest short stories ever told. Four chapters, 85 verses. But you need to read all the way to the end because there's a kind of a final twist here in these last verses that would have flabbergasted Ruth and Boaz. See, when God gets involved, happily ever after takes on a whole new meaning. The ever after part stretches all the way from Ruth and Boaz to another couple in the same town of Bethlehem in a barnyard somewhere, perhaps in a rented room a thousand years later. So talk about your happy endings. Now, this one, though, is going to blow your mind. The last few verses of Ruth chapter 4 introduce us to three scenes that show us the happy ending God always intended. So here's scene number one. I'm going to call it Here Comes the Bride. It's, it's verse 13 of what I read. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. <laughs> Look at that verse. You go, wow, that was fast. I mean, all the buildup of the preceding chapters, the writer uses only one sentence to summarize the wedding, the consummation, and the birth of a baby. See, three things happen, one right after the other. Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth gets pregnant. Ruth gives birth to a son. Now, why aren't we told more about these joyful events? Well, maybe it's because these events themselves point to something much greater. I mean, this book is about more than just some ancient love story. After Ruth and Boaz end up as husband and wife, she gets pregnant and gives birth to a son. These events, momentous as they are, are not the main point. God is up to something. And so verse 13 reminds us how God works through the ordinary to accomplish his purposes. It's not as if Ruth or Boaz says to Ruth, let's get married and make a baby so you can be the grandmother or the great grandmother of King David. I mean, neither of them knew a thing about David. Still less could they have imagined a baby born to a virgin a thousand years later who would be the savior of the world. Uh, Boaz and Ruth weren't aiming to be part of Jesus' family tree in Matthew chapter 1. They were in love, they got married, they had a baby, and that's kind of how things happen. 
Now, the book of Ruth does not mention bridal showers. It doesn't have bachelor parties. There are no details of the wedding day. I'm sure it was a happy, clappy celebration, but that fact is not mentioned. God brought this unlikely couple together as part of his larger plan. When they consummated that marriage, they had no clue of any larger meaning. They were simply doing what married couples have done since the beginning of time. That's just how life works. Now, we take the next step in front of us. We face unexpected obstacles. We walk by faith, and then we leave the rest in the hands of God. So beware of the temptation of trying to figure God out. You can't, and it only leads to wasted time and missed opportunities. Now, a number of years ago, I was going through some kind of, uh, I just call it interesting times in the church where I was the senior pastor. And finally, I I called a longtime friend, but I ended up having to leave a voicemail because he's out traveling and asking for some wisdom. Well, several weeks passed and I heard nothing, thinking that he had kind of forgotten about the call. And then I received an email from him and it said something like this. Uh, thanks for your call. Don't worry so much about what other people think. Just get up each day and do what you believe God wants you to do. That was it. And sometimes, you know, the best advice is the simplest advice. Ruth and Boaz needed to get married and have a baby. That was God's will for them. They didn't know the bigger picture. They didn't try to figure it out. Now, here's scene number two. Here comes the baby. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi. And they called him, or they named him Obed, He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, those are verses 14 to 17. And so this is Naomi's happy ending. And when we remember that the book begins and ends with Naomi, we get a clue to a a much bigger picture here. She who said she went away full and came back to Bethlehem empty now has in her arms her baby grandson. The woman who called herself bitter when she came back now rejoices in God's provision. And the women of Bethlehem now make two very important proclamations. One, they call Obed the family redeemer. Now that's the same word Boaz used to describe himself. It means that this little boy, Obed, will carry on the name of Elimelech and Malan, the father and the son who had died in Moab. And when this little boy grows up, he will protect Naomi in her old age. More than that, she, he will renew Naomi by giving her hope in her declining years. She will die, but the family line will go on. So we come, we go, but God's purposes span the generations. Well, second of all, they called Ruth better than seven sons. Now, what on earth does this mean? Well, after leaving her family in Moab, Ruth receives a new family in her new homeland. Because she pledged her loyalty to to Naomi and Naomi to Naomi's God, she received the blessings of the covenant that God made with Israel. Her loyal love for Naomi pictures 
God's loyal love for his children. The loyal love you and I experience today. And that's better. That's more remarkable than having seven sons. Now, the women, interesting enough, named the little boy Obed, which is really short for Obadiah, which means in Hebrew, servant of the Lord. He will serve God by serving Naomi in her old age. And as the years pass, he will marry and his wife will give birth to a son whose name will be Jesse. And Jesse will have a son whose name is David. Now, Obed not only serves his own generation, but his grandson will become Israel's greatest king. Now, some people have trouble now with the way the book ends. And we're going to get here to verses 18 to 22. And let's take a look. It says, now here, these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now, to be quite honest, that's not really a very (laughs) exciting scripture. It's not how we would end the book of Ruth. This is where we would want to insert, and Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after. Why? Because we like our fairy tales to have happy endings. But the book ends with a genealogy. And we ask ourselves, what's up with that? Well, just this. God wants us to know something bigger is happening here. We don't know for a fact that Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after. Uh, They probably did, and no doubt they enjoyed raising their son Obed and watching the joy in Naomi's eyes as she played with her grandson. We assume that's what happens, and there's no reason to think otherwise. But the Bible doesn't mention it. The hero of the book is not Ruth, it's not Boaz, it's not Naomi or Obed, The hero of this story is God. But think about this. How many miracles did we read about in this book? Zero. None. How many times does God speak in the book of Ruth? Zero. There are no burning bushes. There's no voice that speaks from heaven. The waters don't part, the walls don't come tumbling down, and for that matter, the axe head doesn't float and the dead are not raised. Life in Bethlehem continues as it is from the beginning. There are no miracles in the book of Ruth. That's the wonder of this story. God accomplishes his purposes through the normal outworking of life. The story starts on a somber note. With a famine, that ill-advised move uh, up to Moab and three graves in Moab, when two widows show up in Bethlehem, their future seems bleak at best. Then one day, seemingly by chance, Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz. From that, quote, lucky break, the story turns a whole new direction. A friendship blossoms into a romance. A midnight encounter leads to a proposal. A clever deal gives Boaz the right to marry Ruth, and then Obed is born. Now, let me ask you, where is the miracle in all of this? Well, the answer is the miracle is nowhere and everywhere. 
God is at work behind the scenes, orchestrating every detail so that each person in the story does exactly what they want to do. Yet they all end up exactly where God always intended they would be. The whole story is what I would call an ordinary miracle, which is how God often works in your lives and in mine. Now that brings us to the genealogy at the end of the book. What seems to be tacked on really kind of shows us the moral of this story. God worked in unlikely ways through unexpected events to bring a Moabite woman named Ruth in the King David's family tree. Now, I don't know if you, you remember or even know what the genealogy is as it appears in the New Testament. Now, when Matthew sat down to write his gospel, moved by the Holy Spirit, he begins this way in Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, that makes Jesus a physical descendant of the two greatest names in Jewish history, Abraham and David. But there were many generations between Abraham and David. Now, how do we bridge that gap? Well, Matthew chapter 1, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, repeat the genealogy from, from Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. That's why Ruth ends up with a family tree. When this story began, Ruth was nowhere to be found. She's in Moab, little knowing or dreaming of the strange path her life was about to take. But God knew all along. See, nothing that happens in this story just happens. It's all part of God's plan. And so as the story ends, Ruth has kind of faded into the background. She and Boaz are raising baby Obed under Naomi's watchful eyes. And that's all we know, because that's all we can see. A, a river of connected history flows, if you will, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, spanning thousands of years and hundreds of generations. And though the Bible contains 66 books written by many different authors over 1,500 years, it has but one message, one message and one message only. It's this, God's plan to bring salvation to the world through Jesus the Messiah. See, everything in the Bible fits around that great theme. See, we learn an important lesson from all this. We rarely see God uh, we really see all God intends by what happens to us. See, just as Ruth knew nothing about David and Jesus, we know nothing about how God will use the good and the bad that happens to us 500 years down the line. I mean, some things in life just make no sense. And they're still going to make no sense on the day we die. But God will make sense of them later. God has no loose ends and no unfinished business. But it often seems that way to us. I mean, Ruth's story, if it doesn't teach us anything else, it teaches us that God knows what he's doing, even when you and I don't have a clue. So where do we find Jesus in the book of Ruth? Well, he is the kinsman redeemer, pictured by Boaz, who willingly redeemed both the land and the woman he loved. In the Old Testament, the kinsman redeemer had to meet three different requirements. First of all, he needed to be qualified to redeem. Second, he must be able to redeem. And third, he must be willing to redeem. And so what Boaz does 
in a small way, Jesus does in a mammoth way. He was qualified by virtue of his incarnation, being born God in the flesh. He was able by virtue of his deity, and he proved his willingness by marching to that cross on our behalf. Matthew chapter 1 tells us Jesus had roots. He had a family tree. He didn't just drop out of the heavens or appear magically, but at the perfect moment, Jesus was born where? In that town called Bethlehem, the city of David, the city of Ruth and Boaz, the city of Obed. Now add Ruth 4 to Matthew 1, and we suddenly get the bigger picture. Now, I said earlier that Matthew repeats the genealogy of Ruth chapter 4. That's true. But Matthew makes two additions Ruth omits. And here's what it comes. Matthew says, Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. So he mentions the two women here involved. Rahab the harlot, Rahab, the prostitute, and Ruth, the Moabitess. Now, why did Matthew do that? Well, first of all, Jews didn't ordinarily put women in a genealogy. The author of Ruth evidently didn't see fit to add them. So what's going on in Matthew chapter 1? Now, we should note that Tamar is mentioned in verse 3. And so is Bathsheba, who's also called Uriah's wife in verse 6. All four of these people in Jesus' genealogy are unlikely people. And of the four, only Ruth modeled what we might call an exemplary character. Now, I think Matthew wants to show that our Lord came up from a very human background. In a sense, he was born on the other side of the tracks in the wrong part of town. I mean, Jesus was not ashamed to come from a very imperfect family tree, one that included a prostitute and a woman from whom a nation was founded on incest. It's not the most savory picture in the world. And so the hero in this story is not Ruth, it's not Boaz, it's not Naomi. The hero of this story is God. His grace shines through the blackest of human sin as he chooses flawed men, flawed women, and places them in Jesus' family tree. Let me ask you, are you intimidated by Jesus? You know, a lot of people are. They connect him with all kinds of, you know, religious paraphernalia like big sanctuaries or stained glass or a beautiful choir or massive pipe organs or formal prayers and all the rest. And when they look at the trappings, it's very intimidating to them. They have a hard time relating to Jesus as someone who cares about him. But, you know, this genealogy is in the Bible to let us know that Jesus had a background a whole lot like yours and mine. He called himself the friend of what? Sinners. And he felt at home with who? Drunkards and prostitutes, Scripture says. He didn't wear a a, a hazmat suit like a scientist studying some sort of strange diseases. He put on human flesh and he moved into our neighborhood. Jesus joined the race of pathetic losers, you and me, so he could redeem those who believe in him. So my final point should greatly encourage all of us as we end up this study. And it's this, no matter what your past, Jesus can save you. If a prostitute can be saved, you can be saved. If a murderer can be saved, 
be forgiven, you can be forgiven. If a foreigner can join God's family, there's hope for you. With that in view, we've now ended our journey through Ruth. Out of these ordinary miracles, God prepared the way for Ruth to enter the family tree of Jesus. His story starts where her story ends in Bethlehem. Now we see clearly how God weaves the ultimate happily ever after. So, friends, be encouraged. No matter how difficult your journey has been to this day, God has promised an eternally happy ending for his children. In other words, if you know Jesus, the best is yet to come.